from the studios of Fractal Recording, this is The Mystic Show, episode 123. everyone. Welcome to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran. Happy that you're able to join me. And this is the show where we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and meditation and self-help as well. And uh, the purpose of this show is for you and I and all of us to be inspired to to grow spiritually, to study, to practice, to meditate. And, um, you know, we need, you know, books and, and talks can really give us some, some inspiration. I'm sure you've had a book or two in your life that has really made a difference in your spiritual journey, right? We release new episodes every Friday morning, and you can hear the show as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and our website, themysticshow.net. And if you go to the website, you can sign up for the behind-the-scenes emails, which is a weekly email from me. And you'll also get for free uh, this wonderful recording I made of um, relaxing meditation music where I read selected quotes from Rumi over it. Um, so you sign up for the behind-the-scenes email list, and you just you can get, you get that audio. It's like 49 minutes. It's really nice. Everyone's loving it. And thanks again to Pause Your Life for being our sponsor and our, you know, supportive organization, Pause Your Life. Do you ever feel like you need to hit the pause button on your life? You know, stop the madness. Well, Pause Your Life offers meetups and retreats, and the spring retreat is coming up. So, pauseyourlife.org is the website. And today we're going to continue reading from our James Allen book which is called From Poverty to Power, which was published in 1901. And we're reading this from the section called, uh, right here, Saints, Sages, and Saviors, The Law of Service. Um, So we're going to continue reading this, and I want to talk about this a little more, but I have a couple other excerpts I want to read, really small ones from other books as well, uh, as I start to talk about the James Allen reading. So this portion of the James Allen book is toward the end of this book, and he's covered a lot. We've actually read the whole book on this show uh, up till now, and we're almost ready to finish it. So this section called Saints, Sages, and Saviors, The Law of Service, is really, you know, he's describing the lives of the saints, and it's very, well, the states that they live in are very high. And uh, so everything we read, we might not be able to implement in our own lives, but this is what we're striving for. So this is why we read it. This is why we study it and think about it. So I think we should get right into it. Again, from the James Allen book, 
From Poverty to Power, we're going to read a little bit from the section called Saints, Sages, and Saviors, the Law of Service. Here we go. All the great spiritual teachers have denied themselves personal luxuries, comforts, and rewards, have abjured temporal power, and have lived and taught the limitless and impersonal truth. Compare their lives and teachings, and you will find the same simplicity, the same self-sacrifice, the same humility, love, and peace, both lived and preached by them. They taught the same eternal principles, the realization of which destroys all evil. Those who have been hailed and worshipped as the saviors of mankind are manifestations of the great impersonal law, and being such, were free from passion and prejudice. And having no opinions and no special letter of doctrine to preach and defend, they never sought to convert and to proselytize. Living in the highest goodness, the supreme perfection, their sole object was to uplift mankind by manifesting that goodness in thought, word, and deed. They stand between man, the personal, and God, the impersonal, and serve as exemplary types for the salvation of self-enslaved mankind. Men who are immersed in self and who cannot comprehend the goodness that is absolutely impersonal deny divinity to all saviors except their own, and thus introduce personal hatred and doctrinal controversy, and, whilst defending their own particular views with passion, look upon each other as being heathens or infidels, and so render null and void, as far as their lives are concerned, the unselfish beauty and holy grandeur of the lives and teachings of their own masters. Truth cannot be limited. It can never be the special prerogative of any man, school, or nation. And when personality steps in, truth is lost. The glory alike of the saint, the sage, and the savior is this, that he has realized the most profound lowliness, the most sublime unselfishness. Having given up all, even his own personality, all his works are holy and enduring, for they are freed from every taint of self. He gives, yet never thinks of receiving. He works without regretting the past or anticipating the future, and never looks for reward. When the farmer has tilled and dressed his land and put in the seed, 
He knows that he has done all that he can possibly do, and that now he must trust to the elements and wait patiently for the course of time to bring about the harvest, and that no amount of expectancy on his part will affect the result. Even so, he who has realized truth goes forth as a sower of the seeds of goodness, purity, love, and peace, without expectancy, and never looking for results, knowing that there is the great overruling law which brings about its own harvest in due time, and which is alike the source of preservation and destruction. Men, not understanding the divine simplicity of a profound, unselfish heart, look upon their particular Savior as the manifestation of a special miracle, as being something entirely apart and distinct from the nature of things, and as being, in his ethical excellence, eternally unapproachable by the whole of mankind. This attitude of unbelief, for such it is, in the divine perfectibility of man paralyzes effort and binds the souls of men as with strong ropes to sin and suffering. Jesus grew in wisdom and was perfected by suffering. What Jesus was, he became such. What Buddha was, he became such. And every holy man became such by unremitting perseverance in self-sacrifice. Once you recognize this, once you realize that by watchful effort and hopeful perseverance, you can rise above your lower nature, and great and glorious will be the vistas of attainment that will open out before you. Buddha vowed that he would not relax his efforts until he arrived at the state of perfection, and he accomplished his purpose. What the saints, sages, and saviors have accomplished, you likewise may accomplish if you will only tread the way which they trod and pointed out, the way of self-sacrifice, of self-denying service. And we'll just take a quick little break to contemplate that.
All right, welcome back to the Mystic Show. Um, that's a little musical interlude that I created. Uh, it's a lot longer. That's just a little piece of it. Um, real quick, if you'd like to consider supporting the Mystic Show, there's a few different ways you can. You can share each episode on your social media, like your Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can also give the show a rating and a review in iTunes or Stitcher. And you can also contribute a dollar or two or three per episode. And uh, you can find details about that on the website. So this little section we just read is, you know, I mean, it just strikes so, uh, so directly at the truth. It really does. And he starts out by saying all the great spiritual teachers have denied themselves personal luxuries, comforts, and rewards. And this whole, the first few paragraphs he's talking about, it, it almost seems like living a modern day life that you can't do these things. And I don't know, maybe that's true. Maybe living a, a regular human life is um, not suitable to attaining the highest spiritual goals. I mean, that's something that you have to think about and meditate on and and find out for yourself, right? I think part each of us is on our own journey. We have to find the answer ourselves. We no one can give us these spiritual answers. You know, there's books and there's talking and there's you know we can learn from each other and we can encourage each other, but ultimately it comes down to you. So, you know, he talks about the great spiritual teachers denying themselves personal luxuries and comforts. He also describes them as free from passions and prejudice, um, as having no opinions. We've talked about that before on the show, having no opinions, that our opinions are, could be, (laughs) Uh, worthless. <laughs> you have to decide that one. And he also says that these, the great spiritual teachers, they had no spe- special doctrine to preach and defend. I, and I think that's so telling of, you know, a truly spiritual person. They don't, they're not attached to anything, not even religion, not nothing. And they don't have to teach anything specifically. They don't have to defend any you know, anything. They don't have to defend their position or defend their religion. Um, and he also says that they never sought to com- uh, sorry, convert and to proselytize. So they're not really worried about gaining followers and all these things. I mean, that kind of thing just happens, really. Um, so, I mean... Do you think you could live a life along these lines? I mean, I'm sure some of it you already are living like that. I wonder which parts, which of these um, you could improve upon. I'm sure all of them. Um, He also, this, the first paragraph where he's describing all these things, it reminded me of an excerpt from a book that I just happened to pick up and read. It's actually... From it's called No Water, No Moon. 
talks on Zen stories, and it's uh, by Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Um, and I don't know much about him. Uh, this is from some talks he gave in 1974. Um, I think my wife told me that he's a little bit controversial, but I don't know. And I, I will maybe read more of this book and, you know, but anyhow, in the beginning of each chapter of this book, there's a little, there's like a little Zen story. And I want to read one of those Zen stories because, because all this talk about the great spiritual teachers, you know, denying themselves luxuries, being free from passion, having no opinions, having no special doctrine, not seeking to convert others. Um, it reminded me of, uh, I think it was a different James Allen reading, but he, he it, it was the idea of appearing to be defeated and that the real saints, they don't mind, they don't care if they appear to be defeated. And this story that I'm going to read from this uh, Rajneesh book is interesting. So I'll just read it. It's, it's very short. It's called, Is That So? The Zen master, Hakuin, was honored by his neighbors as one who led a pure life. One day, it was discovered that a beautiful girl who lived near Hakuin was pregnant. The parents were very angry. At first, the girl would not say who the father was. But after much harassment, she named Hakuin. In great anger, the parents went to Hakuin, but all he would say was, Is that so? After the child was born, it was taken to Hakuin, who had lost his reputation by this time, although he didn't seem much disturbed by the fact. Hakuin took great care of the child, he obtained milk, food, and everything else the child needed from his neighbors. A year later, the girl mother could stand it no longer, so she told her parents the truth. The real father was a young man who worked in the fish market. The mother and father of the girl went round at once to Hakuin to tell him the story apologize at great length, ask his forgiveness, and get the child back. As the master willingly yielded up the child, he said, Is that so? So it's a small story, but, you know, the Zen master, Hakuin, he never denied anything. He never, <laughs> he never argued with them. He never complained. He didn't do anything. And he, his reputation was ruined, at least for a short time, maybe forever. But he didn't care. So this, this was a striking story to me that, you know, in the modern age, we're all worried about our, our ideas, our opinions, and our affiliations our allegiances, and we want to defend what we're doing because we want to seem like we're right. We're doing the right thing. You're doing the wrong thing. And the truth is, the higher we climb spiritually, we don't even bother with these things. We have to outgrow these things. 
these are very, spiritually speaking, they're very shallow things when we have to defend and argue and, and have strong opinions and all this stuff. But this story was striking to me because of it was so serious. It was a child, you know, but he took the child and he took care of the child without saying anything. I mean, do you think you could do that? I don't know. I don't think, I mean, if it happened to me today, I, I know I wouldn't handle it as he handled it. Maybe I would try though, right? Sometimes we need a reason to try. So back to the James Allen reading, there was a few other points that really struck me. And one of them was that he talks about men who are immersed in self. And remember, self is the lower self. James Allen uses it that way. But the men who are immersed in their lower self, they render null and void the lives and teachings of their own masters. You know, so when we claim to be on a spiritual path and we claim to have a spiritual guide or, or teachers. And I think what we do reflects on our teacher. And so we have to be careful. We have to really respect our teachers and our spiritual guide and the masters and really be careful that we live properly because how can you be a student of the master and then act really bad and maybe do violence and, you know, kill people? I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, sure, there's a lot of extreme religious people, extremists who do these things. And it's clear that they're not religious at all, let alone spiritual because of what they're doing. It's, it's crazy. It's not even in the same conversation. <laughs> um, the other thing he says is when the farmer tills the land and plants the seeds, um, he knows that he has done all that he can possibly do, and now he must trust to the elements, right? And wait patiently for the course of time to bring about the harvest. So again, this is what the saints and sages do. They go on planting seeds and they don't worry about the harvest. I mean, can we do that? Can you do that? You know, I, I think parents do that their whole lives, right? Parents, you know, if you have children, think about it. You're always nourishing and cultivating your child and teaching and you don't see the fruits of all that teaching immediately. You don't see it for many years. So parents go on for years and years, continually planting more seeds and cultivating the child. And so parents are special. I'll say that. So, and of course, if this will come as no surprise, but the way he ends the chapter or not the chapter, where I stop reading today, the way he ends it, he says, what the saints, sages, and saviors have accomplished, you likewise may accomplish if you will only tread the way that which they trod and pointed out. The way of self-sacrifice, of self-denying service. So, this to, see, to me, this is inspiring. We have the teaching. 
we have the examples. We, you know, in general, we know what to do. So now we just have to do it. So we're not, you know, spiritually in the dark, even though sometimes it might feel that way. You know, spiritually, we all have the greatest potential and we can all achieve what the masters have achieved and even more. I mean, the masters themselves tell us this. You know, think about it. In the physical world, your physical body is limited. You know, you're not 10 feet tall. You never will be 10 feet tall. Your height is limited. So your race, whatever your race is, that's your race. You can't change your race. So physically, we're limited. You can only run so fast. You can't run any faster. You can't run 100 miles an hour. You never will. So physically, we're limited very much. Mentally, however, we are less limited. We can learn. We can train our mind over time. We can learn new subjects. I mean, think about all the things we can learn. It's not like our brain or our mind has limited space. It's not like a hard drive that only has, you know, 500 gigabytes and that's it. Our mind, our mental capacities are vast. So we're, we are less limited mentally. But the area where we are virtually unlimited is the spiritual arena. Each of us, and it doesn't matter our past, what we've done, even if you did bad things, nothing doesn't matter. You have the potential to really grow spiritually and have divine realizations and really mold your life and yourself into something extraordinary, something that we can't even talk about or, or imagine. So again, to me, that's inspiring. That makes me want to meditate more. That makes me want to reflect on my own actions and my own attitudes because I know I can tweak myself. I can make small changes on an ongoing basis and I, and something really good can come out of it and I can help a lot more people. So this was a, I really like this little section of James Allen and I just want to end with this little excerpt from our other book, 365 Tao. Yep, we love this book, Daily Meditations by Deng Ming Dao. There's a passage for every day of the year, and the passage for, is it for today? I think it's for today, or, or yesterday, or, or tomorrow. I can't remember now. The title of this small section is Images, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Images. Sound, smell, taste, image, touch, sleep. Can you think without clinging to these forms? A thought without shape is rare. Knowledge of Tao, rarer still. Our minds need to cling to some object in order to function in its usual modes. If you look at your memories, 
you will find that most are tied to some sensory image. The thought of being in the country brings up a certain fragrance. You see relationships in a certain way. We may do math problems or compose something to say to our companions, but we will still think in numbers and words. Some people make the mistake of rejecting this type of thinking. But we need to use these modes in order to function in the everyday world. When it comes to knowing Tao, thought tied to sensory images is not enough to bring complete realization. Dualistic thinking cannot be used to know Tao. But don't discard it as long as ordinary functioning in the world is necessary. When one meditates, one must use an aspect of consciousness that does not cling to external forms. This type of consciousness is beyond the senses. Some call these states of mind superconsciousness, samadhi, nirvana, or enlightenment. These are mere names. All that matters is getting to these states. Then all labels fall away. So there you have it. I want to thank you for listening. I hope some of these points really, you know, awoke something more within you. Maybe make you think, contemplate a little bit. Maybe you want to write some ideas in your diary or talk to some of your friends about some of these concepts. See what they have to say. So I appreciate you listening. You can check out themysticshow.net for all our past episodes and we're starting to book some really awesome guests coming up. We've had great guests and we're going to continue to have great guests. So, so as you move through your day, stay in a higher consciousness. It's always there. It doesn't ever leave you. And as always, keep shining.